there's a country church and the country church was looking for a new pastor and they had a prospective pastor in mind. So they invited the pastor along to preach to just make sure that everything gelled and, and it would all fit together and it would be a good, a good mix. And the pastor came and preached up a storm. They preached a fantastic message. It was challenging. It was inspiring. Um, it, was, it was from the word of God. And the leadership of the church went, yes, this is awesome. This is so good. So they invited the, the, the pastor to come and, and lead them as a congregation. There was the first service the pastor turned up, the commissioning service of him, and they, they set him apart to be the pastor of their church. And he got up to preach, and he preached an amazing, challenging, inspiring, biblical message that was exactly the same one that he preached a month earlier. It was the same message, and, and a couple of people in the room went, oh, wow, it's only been a few months since the last message, but maybe he forgot. Maybe he didn't realize that he'd already preached that message and everyone went home. The following week, they all came back and yet again, he got up and preached the same message and people were starting to wonder. They were getting like, oh, has this guy got memory problems? Is he like, is there an issue here that we need to know about? But they thought, you know, we want to be people of grace. We'll, We'll just let it lie. And the following week, they came back and he preached the same message again. And one of their leaders just went, oh, we're going to have to talk to him about this. So one of the leaders went up to him and said, I'm not sure if you've realized this, but um, it's a bit awkward. I don't know if you know, but you've actually preached the same message four times in a row. And the pastor said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware of that. And they said, um, is, is that all you got? Like, is there anything else that you're going to move on to? And he said, oh, absolutely, I've got a fantastic range of things that I feel like God wants me to share with the church. And I'll move on to my second message when we actually do what the first message said. And so obviously it's not a true story, but it does make us wonder and question, you know, what are we here for? Because there was clear distinction, difference, a gap between what the pastor was imagining and what the congregation was imagining. The pastor had an idea of, of people being in a place of action and movement, and the congregation wanted to be inspired, but wasn't actually in a place to wanting to move. Why are we here? It's really important. And I don't think there's one answer to that, but I think it's really significant to ask why do we gather? Why do we get together? When I was a young adult, we used to play a card game called Scumbags and Warlords. Has anyone played the card game Scumbags and Warlords? Yeah, yeah, a few people have played it. Now, Scumbags and Warlords is a, is a fun card game to play. However, some of our young adults worked out a loophole in the rules, at least the rules the way we played it. And they worked out that if they sat in particular positions around the table and colluded together, they could completely railroad the game and win. And so they thought it was hilarious. They thought this was the funniest thing in the world. And so for the next two or three times we played, they would, they would organize themselves into particular spots, make sure they were set up in a particular way so that they could, they could make the game go this way and, and, and just railroad the, the normal running of the game. The problem was we weren't all on the same page anymore. And that pretty much ruined the game. I don't think we ever played it as a young adults group again, because while some people thought that was hilarious, other people wanted to play the way it was meant to be played. And so 
there was this division, there was this separation. And we actually never played scumbags and warlords again because of that. And I think when it comes to church, we can have completely different senses of humor. We can have completely different hobbies or or, uh, careers, uh, family dynamics. We can be very different as people. However, like scumbags and warlords, if we're not heading in the same direction together as a body, then we have nothing in common that we head towards and it will fall apart. If we don't have a common cause, if we don't have a common bond, if we don't have a common covenant that's greater than any one of us, we actually will just flitter flutter away. This is really significant for us to ponder and wrestle with. What actually draws us together? There's one thing that plagues the Western church, and it's something we wrestle with, and that is, it's sad to say, but in the Western church, often Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. We're we're so swayed by by people's behavior, by personal preferences, by my needs being met, by preaching style or worship style or prayer style. The sad truth is often other things trump Jesus. Now, I've observed people that I've known in church culture over a number of years, and and this is not reflection of anyone personally, but there's people that I know that move church every two or three years, that are unsettled, that that are restless, that are looking for the perfect church, that are looking for the perfect pastor, they're looking for the perfect small group, they're looking for the perfect worship or kids ministry or youth ministry. I'm sorry to tell you, none of those exist. None of them. But in a healthy church, Jesus does exist. We want to be motivated by Jesus. There's a passage in John 6, 60, where Jesus actually experienced this very same thing. Uh, It starts at verse 60. I'll read it for you. Jesus had just been teaching them about some really hard stuff relating to this, about about them needing to, to trust in him alone. And it says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the son of man ascending to heaven again? The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point... Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, 
Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Wow, what a stark contrast. People go in the teachings too hard. I'm out of here. And Peter representing the 12 saying, there is nowhere else we could go. There is nowhere else we can be. You are the reason we live. You are our hope. You are our future. You are the only thing that we, we want to rest on and anchor on. As I look around this screen, I am genuinely encouraged and inspired as I see names and faces and family photos because I see that in you. I see that heart, that desire for Jesus to be enough. You know, Nathan has shared for the last couple of weeks about our, our calling and purpose. Our purpose is to live surrendered to God's perfect will, motivated by the transforming gospel of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as I think about the interactions that we have, I see that that already is seeded in you. That is already, it didn't need to be said for it to be real. It's great that we say it and we can camp around it and we can focus on it. But at the same time, I see that already in your hearts. I see that in the words that you speak. I see that in the things that you do. And I'm inspired and encouraged by that. And I'm reminded and rejoice in the spirit that is alive in each one of you this morning. And we've seen it in action already this morning. We've seen it in action as people have worshipped, as people have shared, as people have gathered together. It's really, really cool. Now, I know there's distractions. I know there's times that we have bad days and, and things don't go quite to plan. But when you push that stuff aside, when we get to the heart of the matter, seared on each of our hearts is that desire and hunger and desperation for God, for Jesus. And for me, that is so exciting and encouraging. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Just as you are already doing. So often we feel like we're being told to do something different. We're told to do something, you know, to get off our backsides or to change. And yet this verse reminds us that there's stuff that's already going on that's beautiful and good. Much of what we do as leaders is not actually about the new. We're not actually called to bring new teaching or new gifts to the church. The Holy Spirit's actually the custodian of the new. The Holy Spirit brings new life. The Holy Spirit brings new gifts. The Holy Spirit does a lot of new things. But us as leaders, that's, that's not us. That's the Holy Spirit. Our role is to champion that. Our role is to help each of us not miss what the Holy Spirit's doing, to help encourage and help the focus to be on what God is actually doing in our midst. It's not to actually do it. Second Corinthians talks about the treasure that's deposited in us is in jars of clay. You know, the, it might not look like an impressive vessel, but what's deposited is treasure, the spirit alive and active. And that's super exciting. 
As a church, we want to champion that. We want to make sure that we are a body that reflects and pursues that together. And we have six words that we've come up with. Um, We haven't really come up with them. They're very common words. But they're words that reflect that intentionality, those objectives, those things that we want to do, that that we gather to do. Why do we get together? Today, I want to just talk about three of them, and they're the three that relate to us internally. They relate to us as a body and how we function together. The first one is called encounter. Now, encounter is at the heart of God's agenda for us. God is all about encounter. Scripture is packed full of encounters with God. In some ways, you could say that we were created to encounter God. That was why we were created, to encounter and experience God. And Jesus is the epitome of that because one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us, an encounter with God, God present But it didn't stop there because the Holy Spirit then was an extension of that. And the Holy Spirit was God present in our hearts and in our lives and expressed as we radiate the Spirit around us. Encountering God is so fundamental to what it means to be a a Jesus follower. And as a body, we eagerly desire that everybody encounters God. It is the best and most awesome thing you can experience is to encounter God. And so as as a body, we want to say part of the reason we gather, one of the core reasons we gather is to encounter, to encounter God directly and personally for each one person, but then also radiated through those that carry his spirit. Every single one of you that carry his spirit can radiate and, and provide an encounter for each other of, of God, the presence of God among us. It's an amazing thing to champion and to go after. An encounter with the living God. We offer people an invitation, an encouragement, an opportunity. But we so want everyone to encounter God. And this morning, there's been a couple of comments in the chat about people sensing God's presence Sensing an encounter with God as we worship and we adore and we we magnify him. Thank you, Lord, for being present. Thank you, Lord, for an encounter with you that people experience personally. More, Lord. More, Lord. The second one is equip. Most people think of this as just teaching, but it's actually so much more. If I was to explain to you the chemical reaction that happens when you bake a cake and you then went to bake a cake as a result, I don't think it would taste very nice. You need more than just, you probably don't even need the chemical reaction to bake a cake. But to bake a cake, you actually need some good tools. You need some some equipment to do it. You need some good ingredients. You need a recipe or some instruction. You might even be beneficial to have someone to model or to show you. And as a church, we want to be people that equip disciples. We want to be people that equip people for living life the way Jesus intended it to be. Equipping is not just teaching. It's furnishing. It's preparing. 
It's enabling, it's providing tools and resources, understanding and modeling so that people can be everything that they were designed to be. Now, Jesus was absolutely amazing at equipping. I'm not convinced that his disciples actually appreciated it as much as they were experiencing it until he left. And then they were left feeling on their own, grieving his death, confused about his resurrection and and ascending. And yet in that midst, they were ready and able to launch a church. They were equipped and prepared really well, not just because they had head knowledge. In fact, their head knowledge was probably the weakest part of it because they didn't understand it all until they had to live it out. And yet at the same time, they had Jesus as a model and a reference point. They had practice and experience that they'd done. They had the tools that they needed as Jesus taught and equipped them and provided the Holy Spirit. They were ready because they were equipped. And as a church, we too want to be good at equipping and to equip And the third one is exercise. For some strange reason, it's very clear that God's plan is for us to get involved. Some days when I make mistakes and stuff things up, I I wonder why that's his plan. I don't feel like it was a very good plan. And yet whether I like it or not, or whether I feel it or not, it's very, very clearly his plan. He wants us and desires for us to participate to exercise, to experience, to practice. And part of us gathering is to do that. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And 1 John 3.18 says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. As a church, again, why do we gather? We gather because we want to keep each other accountable and to champion each other in reflecting what God is doing. All three of these things aren't autonomous. They actually all go together. They all interweave and work together. It's not that you encounter first and then exercise and then, and then equip or, or vice versa. There's no particular order. They actually all complement and they actually all work together and we meet together for all three things. And I'd love if you reflected right now that all three things are happening this morning. Because if they're not happening this morning, then then please tell me. <laughs> we, we need all three things in every space, whether we're meeting it as a small group, whether we're, we're having a conversation one-on-one, whether we're gathering online or in person, it doesn't matter. Encounter, equip, and exercise all need to be experienced. There's little things that make it challenging on places like Zoom, but there's a reason why Rachel asked you to go to the window. It's a chance to exercise, to actually look at God's creation. It's the reason we say let's stand up and worship and not just sit there and and listen. It's to exercise and participate in what God's doing. These three things are fantastic. Encounter, equip and exercise. And Jesus did these three things constantly. I'm going to read to you a passage that is a day in the life of Jesus, right? It comes from Matthew 14. 
And it's just one day. But what I want you to do, and this is your exercise, each time uh, as you hear it, you think, ah, that's equipping. Ah, that's an encounter. Ah, that's a chance to exercise. Just think about, as I read it, just think about where's the equipping, where's the exercising, where's the encounter? Because it's packed full of it in a single day, a single day in the life of Jesus. I'm just going to read it and just soak in it and just spot those, those moments in this passage. I'm going to start at verse 12. By the way, it's not the most ideal day of Jesus' life because the start of this passage, he just discovers that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, right? So we're not starting off that good. Life doesn't always go the way we plan, but that's the start of this day. And let's just experience what this day looks like. So from verse 12 of Matthew 14, later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was, headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples, who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. About five thousand men were fed that day, in addition to the women and children. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen where they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the the other side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. 
You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. One day in the life of Jesus, I hope you could see a whole heap of encounter, a whole heap of equipping and a whole heap of exercising. And the conclusion of all that was the disciples worshipped him. One day, they didn't worship him because of their circumstances. Jesus' day wasn't the best day. He had a rough day. He had people chasing him when he wanted to be alone, to grieve and to pray. The disciples worked their butt out all afternoon, jumped in a boat and then faced a storm and were fighting a storm. Not an easy day. And then even the brazen Peter who says, you can make me walk on water, fumbles in the midst of it. The circumstances weren't perfect. But Jesus was enough. Jesus was enough. They saw even in the midst of an intense day and evening, at four, three, four, whatever the time was in the morning when the, when the waters calmed, they worshipped in the middle of the night, Jesus. This is why we gather. This is why we get together. This is why we have something in common. This is why we have a covenant that is greater than any one of us. Because Jesus has established a new covenant and invites us to participate. I don't have to, to, to like Paul's jokes. I actually did think it was a funny joke, Paul. I don't have to have the same hobbies as Sam. I don't have to be the same age as Eleanor. And yet we gather and come together around one thing and, and one thing alone. And that is to encounter God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of what Jesus has established as Lord and King of a new kingdom. We want to encounter him. We want to learn about what God's good, pleasing and perfect will is. We want to be equipped to be able to participate in that. Not in my agenda, not in your agenda, but in his agenda. And we want to be people that don't just talk the talk, but we actually walk it. Not because that's a performance that I want to impress you with, but we want to spur one another on, encourage one another. And I am convinced that that seed is planted and birthed in you already. Our, our role, not just as leaders, but as everybody here, is to champion that. Are we encountering? Are we equipping? Are, are we experiencing? Are we, are we exercising? Let's keep each other accountable. Is Jesus the reason that we're here? Are we hungry? Have we been distracted or forgotten or wandered off the path? Because I know and am convinced that seared on your hearts is this desire, is this agenda, is this motive. And yet we gather to keep each other accountable and spur one another onto that agenda. Just really want to encourage you with that. It's in you there already. It is already there. Encounter, exercise, and equip. It's in you already. 
Let's challenge one another. Let's inspire one another. Let's spur one another on to make Jesus the reason why we gather. And that's at our heart. That's at our DNA. That's what we want to be as a body.